0: going to do is look at Proverbs 3. In a moment we'll we'll read it together and we're going to look at verses 5 to 10. But just before we do that, I want to remind you that the book of Proverbs is about wisdom, real wisdom, about helping us to live well. That biblical wisdom, as understood not only by the Hebrews really, it's a wisdom that would be a Hebrew uh, attitude to the subject, Probably other cultures may be a bit like this as well. We're different over here. Let's listen and see what I mean. For them, wisdom means the ability to live well, to operate effectively in life, to to know the best way to live and to do it. Uh, it's an action. It's activity. It's a whole life. For us, with our Western culture, and, and even it, you can trace it back to some degree to the Enlightenment and everything, we put a lot of store on knowledge and on people just knowing a lot about a subject. And so you can be a, an expert in... Um I don't know, the psychology of marriage and men and women and and have two or three broken marriages yourself. And that doesn't matter. You're still wheeled onto television as an expert because you're a professor of psychology or something. Or you're an economics professor. And even if you're in debt, we still listen to you. Now, that would be very, very foreign to the Bible and to to the Hebrew culture. Wisdom is working out and, sh- and, and living well as a result of what you understand apply. That's just general principle. But obviously in the Bible, and particularly here in Proverbs, wisdom is rooted into a spiritual attitude rather than a mental attitude. It's about a spiritual issue. In actual fact, you gain wisdom through your relationship with God more than human intellect. And that will come out again and again in this book and I have referred to it a couple of weeks ago. And so the Bible is very clear that wisdom is really found in God who is all-wise. And in the New Testament, that is emphasised in all God's Trinitarian glory. The Father is described as the only wise God in Romans 16 verse 27. In 1 Corinthians one thirty, Jesus the Son has become for us wisdom from God. And in Ephesians 1.17, the Holy Spirit is described as the spirit of wisdom. So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the source of wisdom. To really live well means you live out of what you, your relationship with God and what you know about God's way of doing things. And it's more than just intellectual. It's his life in you as you walk in the spirit, as you begin to follow through with him. So these verses are at the very heart of that. And some people say they are the heart of Proverbs. They are the, the sort of summary of what Proverbs is unpacking in, other, in the other chapters. So we're going to read verses 5 to 10 of Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. This modern translation I'm using says, but actually acknowledge is a more common translation and I actually prefer that word. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Very clear, three clear exhortations. Trust the Lord, fear the Lord, honor the Lord. And the impact of those that are promised into our lives, the impact is He will guide you, it will be For your well-being and health, it will be for your prosperity and provision. It will be beneficial to you in the areas of guidance, health and provision. Now they're strong, clear principles and we're going to give them our attention today because they're well worth that. We need to get what's being taught here. This is wisdom from heaven. This is about the right way to live, and it has a lot to say to us. So we're simply going to look at those three, and we're going to start with the first one. Trust the Lord. Verses 5 and 6, I think they'll go up on the screen, say, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, the Hebrew word that is translated trust in our English versions has in its origin this meaning, which I think is quite powerful. The original idea of this word is, according to a commentator I read, the idea of lying helplessly face downwards. Lying helplessly face downwards. Not necessarily in sort of a dire situation, not like, not like groveling or fearful, but people would often do this before a powerful monarch. And in a sense, you are totally vulnerable. He could kill you, he could walk over you, he could mock you, but you are totally trusting him. So you lie helplessly face downwards before this person. And that is the origin of the word that we have as trust. This is a pretty thorough trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, even in our own dictionaries, it will say this, trust means relying on absolute confidence in, resting in the integrity of. I like that phrase, resting in the integrity of. So we're to lead our lives in effect saying, God, we trust you in everything. We lie face downwards. We are just, if you want to walk over us, you walk over us. We are trusting you. We are resting everything upon your integrity, that you are who you say you are, that what you've revealed about yourself is true, that you will do what you'll say you'll do. We have a settled confidence that you are faithful to your word and to your character. We trust in you, Lord. As I say, it's not a a fearful groveling. It's a powerful thing, but it is a very vulnerable and complete act. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, actually, we've got to remember we're not talking about trusting in in a principle or a law or a set of rules. People very easily turn the Bible into that. That is not how it is meant to be seen here or certainly at all as we get into the New Testament. But I wouldn't put that back into the Old Testament either. We don't trust in a, 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 a law system or a rule system. We're trusting in a person. Look at Isaiah 26, verse 4. Again, I hope it will go up on the screen. Isaiah 26, 4 says this, "'Trust in the Lord forever.'" for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. We're talking about a person and a personality. God is a person. The Lord himself is who we're trusting in. We're actually trusting in a person. We're trusting out of a relationship with him. And that means we learn that the best way to live is to trust God even when we don't understand what's going on and can't see very clearly. Let's look at another verse, Isaiah 50, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. Do you feel you're walking in the dark that you're not quite sure what's happening. Well, here is where you start in terms of coping and coming through. You trust in the name of the Lord and rely on him. You are face down in front of him. God, I am trusting in you. Just as we actually heard this morning through Wendy, really, over the last two years and with the tragedy of the death of Catherine, that somehow in the midst of the darkness and confusion, you just have to say, Lord, I am somehow going to trust in you. I'm not going to stop trusting in you. It's better, says Psalm 118. This won't go on the screen, by the way. I haven't got these on the PowerPoint. It says in Psalm 118, verse 8, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. To trust in human beings is very easy to do, and many of us do it. But the Bible says, and it's wise, it's wisdom, it's better to put trust in the Lord than to trust in people. Now, Some of us will get that, but there is another stage where many of us will rest, is that we really only trust ourselves. We really only trust ourselves, and I I understand that. I think I battle with that. I'm naturally quite a suspicious person. I thought Marion would tell you that. I always expect that it's not going to work that the machine's not going to work, that the company's let us down, that it's an idiot on the other end of the phone. Some people are positive, you know, I'm not a pessimistic person, but I just assume that it's going to be messed up and the person isn't going to do a very good job. Sorry. <laughs> I battle with that a lot and I come over it, but I've only come over it through spiritual things, through thinking I'm actually trusting God. Uh, my life is not in the hands of this person, this system, this thing. My life is in the hands of God. Now actually I do like people but I just don't trust them. And so the, in the end I've, I found that God's helped me to work through in life by trusting that above that there is God. My life is not just in the hands of the random whims of people and their moods and their efficiencies. And so you you know it's very practical not to trust in man. But but my danger, which I'm really lingering on for a moment, is that I trust in myself. It's a form of arrogance, really, that I think I know more what should be done. I've probably done a better job than them. It's quite startling when you see that you think actually you're quite arrogant. Well, Proverbs twenty-eight verse twenty-six has a pretty blunt bit of advice. It says this. It's not going to go on the screen. He who trusts in himself is a fool. He who trusts in himself is a fool. So that's pretty clear. (laughs) That if you are, bottom line, I only really trust myself, the Bible is not very complimentary about it. Actually, Proverbs 3, verse 5, is slightly more polite, but basically says the same thing. It says, Do not lean on your own understanding. And that is so, so easy to do. I know that from personal experience. To really only lean on my perception of the thing that I've got it right. The computer is broken. No, it's not. You haven't switched it on right. But I'm convinced that we need a new one. So we... We lean on our own understanding in all sorts of areas where we shouldn't. Leaning, as you probably know, means putting your whole weight on something, which is worth just remembering. It's You put your weight on it. Do you put your whole weight fundamentally on what you perceive to be the right thing to do or the truth or where it's at? When all the dust settles, I lean on my own understanding if I'm not careful. That fundamentally, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm that, you know, A, X, Y, Z. I won't use names. They don't really know what they're talking about. I'm not even sure God's quite on the case today. I am leaning on my own understanding. That is a very real temptation, and the Bible says it's a silly thing to do. Don't do it. Don't lean on your own understanding. When you have important decisions to make, don't just trust in yourself. After all, God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows your abilities, your circumstances. He knows the whole situation. We have got an ability to think and reason, and God's given us that. So it's not that we can't begin to engage in it and think about it. It's more dynamic than that. It's that fundamentally, though, we acknowledge him in all our ways. In all our ways, submit. I don't really like that word because I think it's far too... Colorless and one-dimensional. Acknowledge him in all your ways. It's a much more relational word, that word acknowledge him. Um, it, it means that we, we, we have a relationship out of which we live and move at all times. I've just looked at my notes and I don't want to miss a point that I wanted to make. So I'll be quite open with you and I'm going back one stage. I want to just talk for a moment about the danger the serious danger, the serious mistake of leaning totally on your own understanding. And I simply want to illustrate it with one reference from Genesis 3, verse 6. Because this is pretty serious stuff. The mistake of only trusting your own judgment and yourself is fundamental to the whole mess that the whole world is in. It is the way that sin came in. It was the first mistake that human beings made. It says of Eve, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. This is the tree that God says, don't eat of it. It's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is fine, leave that. God doesn't give a long-winded explanation as to why. He just says it will have dire consequences. On the day you do that, you will die. But he says, just don't do it. Everything else, great. You can roam around, name the animals. It's all for you to rule. Just leave that. And the woman couldn't do that. So natural, so how we often live. Thought she was wiser, or the information she was receiving through her senses, through her understanding, through the persuasive words of the serpent, that somehow that gave her a better understanding and a better judgment than God's words to her did. She thought she'd gain wisdom by doing her, her own thing. The result was utterly disastrous. And that is a warning for everybody in the room, including me. Don't lean on your own understanding. Listen to what God says. Even if you think, is, is that right? Does that make, that doesn't seem very comfortable, doesn't sit comfortably. Well, don't dismiss God's word and the wisdom of God. Okay, let's, let's just fly, sort of flick back to where we're going. This is not just about only blindly obeying him, submitting in a rather harsh sort of use of that word. This is about a relationship with God in all our ways of living, What the Bible is teaching us here is that trusting God means that we involve God in everything we do. It is a dynamic living relationship. The word acknowledge has this sort of meaning in its original uh, word again. Being aware of and having fellowship with. It's a relational word. The word that's translated acknowledge or submit. It's a long way from submit, I believe. It's a relational word. It's about having, uh, I mean, it can even be used for intimacy between men and women, the root word. So it's a very different thing. It's about in all your ways, talk to God. Commune with him listen to him. Think, what does God say about this in my life? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In every area of your life, and I mean it, every single area, share it with the Lord. Talk about it to God. Grumble to him. If you like, argue with him. That's not the problem. It's just don't cut him out of it talk to the Lord in every area. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge he's God. Acknowledge that you know that he is overall. It's a bit dark at the moment. You can't see what he's doing, but you know he's not out of control. You do that. You acknowledge him in every area. There are no no no-go areas. Now let's get this really practical. We tend to have no-go areas. We sometimes don't really realize it, but in any area where you decide you can live without the benefit of God's input, you are probably going to end up with a disaster and a problem. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way you get disaster. There's all sorts of, the whole issue of, of, of living in this world is there's human sin, there's demonic attack, there's our own lack of understanding, sometimes our own fleshly weakness, all sorts of things. But this is a truth that we're looking at. If you cut God out of an area of your life, it's probably going to end badly. Now it may not be immediate, but it has a slow, a slow fuse sometimes. But you know, a lot of people look at their lives. Christians we're talking about, and they might say, "Well, my career, I'm not." I I mean, I don't know how how explicitly they think like this, but they think maybe God doesn't have much to say in my career. I'm very focused on what I'm doing. Others, it can be their sexuality. So I don't like what God says. I don't like the wisdom of God on this area. I'm not going there. This one I will work out myself. For other people, it can be their money. Others, it might be their marriage and what God's wisdom clearly says into their marriage, what God's word says and what they know. It may be your choice of friends. It may be your leisure time activities. There's all sorts of things where, in effect, we say, I know all about the wisdom of God. I know what the Bible would say about this. I even know a bit of prompting of the holy spirit but the answer is no I don't want his advice I don't want his wisdom I will manage this area on my own thank you don't do it <laughs> in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight eventually this is a lifelong thing he will find you will find that it's god who's guided you straight through perhaps some very confusing and troubled times. Ultimately, when your life isn't working well, if you will be honest, you will often trace it back to some areas where you didn't let God in. I would say that. Over the years, I have no regrets about times where I chose God's path, even though it didn't look like the sensible thing which would be applied to a number of things, many, but, but but big ones, you know, when you left teaching to do full-time and all sorts of things with the church and other things when I, when I first joined the little house church and, and all sorts of things. They're just big, obvious ones. But I know that they were difficult, they seemed illogical, they were criticised by by perhaps friends and family and colleagues. And, and I, I'm not a hero. I'm not brave. So I take on board people's comments. I'm in trouble about it. But somehow I know what God's saying to me and I've chosen God's path. I don't regret any of that. But I know on the other hand, I can see times when I willfully chose my own path. When, I, Even as a Christian, even as a leader. I, I thought, no, I, yeah, I'm not sure. But, and I know in my heart of hearts, I'm not quite going with it the way God's calling me to. And I regret those times. And I think, yeah, I should make sure that in all my ways, I fully acknowledge God. And he alone is the one who calls the shots ultimately. Working with my heart and mind and the scriptures and, my, and counsel from godly people, part of that sometimes. The good news is that there's forgiveness and mercy available when you blow it. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that when I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's a wonderful deal being a Christian and walking with the Lord. But there is also a bottom line wisdom here, that if you cut God out of an area, it will probably lead to trouble. On the other hand, acknowledge him in that way, and despite the difficulties, he will make your paths straight. So every time we really do put this into practice, I think we avoid some trouble somewhere and we are more likely to stay on the straight and narrow with God. So as we end that first section, which is the longer section I want to talk about, can I just challenge you? Do you have some areas where you don't let God into your life? Just be honest on your own with the Lord. Are there areas where you think, I don't really see that God's word and God's wisdom impacts on that? Maybe, as I say, to do with something very fundamental about how you're living, but, don't, but be open to the challenge not to do that. Or let me ask another question. What is most important to you in your life? What is the most important thing in your life? And have you acknowledged God in that area? Do you... Acknowledge him in that area and, as it were, submit to his ways when it comes down to it. It says he'll make your path straight. He will guide you to a life of purpose and direction with him. He will bring you round obstacles. He works in your heart, he works in your circumstances, and he takes you through. I mean, the challenge is, if God is real, if God's real and you really believe in him, If God is who he says he is, which is he knows all about you, he knows all about circles, he knows the end from the beginning, things we've even sung this morning, then you'd be a fool not to trust him and acknowledge him in all your ways, wouldn't you? You'd be an idiot. That's what the Bible says, actually a fool. (laughs) But you know, we just need to let the logic get in there. Look, if, if we believe in God, if we believe this Bible and believe the gospel and believe about Jesus and who we are in Christ and all the stuff most of us in this room probably have a fairly good idea and could give a little mini talk on. If we do that, then surely this must be the only way to live. In all your ways, acknowledge him and let him direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Let's move on to the fear of the Lord. They're all a bit tied together, but a slightly different emphasis. Trust the Lord and fear the Lord. Now, I've listened to Rob from last week. It was very good Rob, and Rob spoke well on the fear of the Lord, so I don't need to say a lot on it, but I think it's worth reminding you almost of a couple of things that Rob said. Rob said fearing the Lord doesn't mean a craven fear of him, terrified of God in that unhelpful way, as though he's a a bad-tempered, unpredictable, Uh, cruel sort of tyrant you're worried that he's going to punish you he's worried he's going to fly into a rage that's not what it means and I think some of the phrases Rob maybe even mentioned last week I wrote a few down it's more about affectionate reverence it's a nice phrase affectionate reverence a love for God and an awe for God together so you love him and yet you're in awe of him you are reverently prepared to obey him Fear the Lord. Actually, the best definition as ever probably is to read something in the Bible. Let's look at Deuteronomy ten twelve. I think it'll go up on the screen because it sort of defines the fear of the Lord, fearing the Lord. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So fearing God is loving him, but it's obeying him and serving him wholeheartedly. So basically, life is about, Lord, what I do with you and and, and for you. Now, the scriptures we're reading, and we we probably put them up already for me because I didn't mention it, but verses 7 and 8 say, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. This little couplet says, if you get this right, you will be healthier than if you don't. It's quite an interesting challenge. In fact, it's a sort of three little keys to healthy living. Don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and shun evil. Now, I am aware that many commentators point out that proverbs are not promises from God. And I get that. I get what they're trying to say. They're saying proverbs are general truths. They're principles to help you through life. But I I think if we water them down too much, we lose something. And I just want to be cautious about overstating that they're not promises. They are truths. They are true principles. They are God-given truths. And we can trust in the Lord. We can trust in the very truths we're reading right now, this morning. And actually, they are food for our faith. And I sometimes think over-analysing the Bible is a slightly dangerous practice. Though I live in that world, I think it is dangerous because I think it can undermine faith. At one level, most of the Bible is written in, in a context in which it was written, is written in ordinary language for ordinary people. That would be true of our Gospels, that would be true of our letters, and it's true of the Proverbs and the Psalms and lots of the Bible, and actually even the history bits and the law, that it's not written to be obscure. Now, for us to understand how it speaks to us, quite a lot of Old Testament, you do need to get a little bit of context and understand the covenant and all the rest of it, what it's saying. But by and large God is wanting to communicate with us. He wants us to get what he's saying. And so there's sometimes a little danger that when we come to anything like this or the one the next couplet we're going to look at, we can we can explain it all away because we don't want to be oh we don't want to be health and wealth prosperity teachers, we don't want to be careful, we want to be careful. Don't turn it into a promise. Well, it's a pretty good principle. I think it has got a lot in it that we can live by. I wouldn't have a problem. In fact, some of these verses I've got written in the front of my Bible, um, written on cards, uh, you know, stuck, you can stick it on the fridge. They're things you need to live by. They're things you need to understand. Now, I get that you need to be careful, but I don't want to be so careful I lose the blessing. And faith comes when I hear the word of God. Faith comes from the Bible. When I read it, when I read some of these verses that we're reading this morning, suddenly I get it. Ah, I'm to acknowledge him in all my ways. I'm to trust him. Ah, if I get what the fear of the Lord is and stop being wise in my own eyes, this is going to work for me. It's going to bring health to my body and nourishment to my bones. I will be physically better, mentally and physically more whole if I live by these principles. And I believe that implicitly. I believe that if you live and walk in the light of the word of God, you will be mentally and physically better. Than if you don't. Now, I want to say something pretty clear in my opinion, but I think sometimes it's contested for. I think it is pretty clear that God is for healing. Now, I know, I know, I live, I'm a pastor. People, oh, but this didn't happen and that didn't happen. I know. But I actually still believe God is a healing God. I mean, it's all over the Bible, and he uses the name, I'm the Lord that heals you, but here it says, go God's way, fear the Lord, and you'll be better physically well-being, it seems to be promising. Also, you've got to think, what did Jesus do? When Jesus came to earth, he spent most of his time healing people. He went around healing and doing good, Most of the Gospels, he's either going to a healing, he does some teaching, but he's gone from a healing or he's going to a healing. He's delivering people from demons, from mental troubles, as well as from physical troubles. And it says in Acts 10 verse 38, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And Jesus was the manifestation of God. So I find from that verse and the general tenor of Scripture that actually God loves us to be well. And death is actually called an enemy in the Bible. Now, you shouldn't be frightened of it if you're a Christian because you know where you're going, you're going into the presence of God. It's just a way of bringing you through to Jesus. But it ain't a nice thing, and it's not to be welcomed in the broadest sense of the word. We don't like seeing people being killed. Our faith, Christianity, gives no grounds whatsoever for bloody conflicts and attitudes where you kill people. Now, I know historically that has surfaced periodically in so-called Christianity, but real Christianity, the Bible, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, don't behave like that at all. I defy you <laughs> to find a way where Jesus exhorts his followers to behead those he dis- doesn't agree with, or stone them or kill them. Don't, it's just not in it. It's not the way the the New Testament operates. You say, oh, but what about the Old Testament? Well, another day we'll talk about that. I'm not frightened to talk about it. It's just haven't the time. There is an issue of sin and judgment, but let's get clear. God is a God who is for victory over sickness and death. When he made the world, it wasn't there. Sin brought in those things. They are, if you like, aberrations. They're deeply spread and widely spread and we're all conscious of them and they they impact on us a lot, but they are aberrations. They weren't there before the fall and in the new heavens and the new earth, they're not there either. There's no more sickness and dying when when Jesus has completely established his kingdom. Amen? So it's not surprising that again and again, little bits surface in the Bible, and this is one of them, It surfaces that God wants you well. God wants you well. God wants you well. Now, I think we need to live with that. I think we need to pray like that. We need to lay hands on the sick and expect them to recover. We need to understand what Jesus did and why he did it. And we need to know we live in a, 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 a now but not yet of the new heavens, new earth. That if until Jesus comes back, you know, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And that is a form of sickness. Your body gives up and collapses. I'm not living in unreality, but I'm telling you, our faith needs to rise to a God who is a healer. Amen. Amen. Because these verses are reminding us of that. And actually, in detail, these two verses are really what we might call preventative medicine. They're not so much about, you know, you're ill and we lay hands on the sick. Plenty of places we go for that. But they're more about preventative medicine. Preventative medicine is a very, we think, a very modern concept. It's probably something that's come to great prominence in the last 50 years or so. You can think of it all over the place. We want to prevent people getting ill. So we inoculate them regularly all over the place. The more the merrier, you know. We we inoculate for flu and everything. We want to prevent people getting ill. We encourage them to eat well because we know if they have a good diet, they won't get ill. Vitamins, you know, rest, exercise, avoid smoking, avoid excessive alcohol, avoid excessive fats and sugars, etc., etc. All to try and keep you well, physically and probably to some degree mentally well, and avoid an untimely death. Now, these verses are in that category. They are preventative medicine. One of the ways you can keep better mentally and physically is to have an affectionate reverence for the Lord in all your life, to not be so proud and confident of your own views that you only lean on your own understanding or you only are wise in your own eyes, and to shun evil, i.e. to avoid what you know God has said is wrong. So there are simple, profound ways to be healthier mentally and physically, that you actually do have a fear and a reverence for God in all things, that you are not so full of your own opinions and confidence that that, that, that that's where the wisdom comes from, that's what you lean on, and that you do, where you know it, avoid things that God says are wrong and bad for you. That will bring a sort of wholeness. It says nourishment to your bones, which is probably an old-fashioned way of saying right to your core. It will make you a healthy, whole person. You will be healthier and more whole, wholesome. To be honest, brothers and sisters, I've now, whatever age I am now, I've been a church leader for 40 years nearly. I have seen this come true again and again and again. I have seen people get saved from really pre wrecked lives, which have left them mentally and physically quite poorly in different ways. And at not, not all instant, it's not all lay hands, hands. Sometimes it is. But as they have begun to walk authentically as Christians, I have watched them, their, even their complexion changes. And a few years later, they look healthier, they are healthier. Now, some of it's very understandable. They're no longer smoking dope. They're no longer smoking straight cigarettes. They're no longer getting drunk every other weekend. Yeah, I understand that, and that is part of the deal. That's the wholeness of it all. That's the wholeness of it all. But it's even more profound than that. You just know there's something in their very bones that's different. It works to walk with God. Amen? You agree with me, I hope. And it's a very easy to... I'm going to have to watch it. I'm enjoying myself. I'll give you one example which is near to every one of us in this room. Stress. Stress. Stress is a modern plague. Do you know some doctors estimate that as much as 80% of diseases are stress-related in some way? Perhaps in their origins, I don't know. Now, our life is full of stress. We have too much to do and too little time to do it in. We have huge pressures to do better, to buy more, to have more, which were unknown for most generations and still unknown in large parts of the world, which actually are a very mixed blessing. My personal little beef is going to come through. We have far too much choice. Every one of you has far too much choice, and it's driving you batty. (laughs) Because you don't even know what form of yoghurt to buy. You... So that's slightly light-hearted, but it's slightly true. Our world has produced all sorts of things, and much more profoundly and seriously, I think we sometimes have too much information about the world and all that's going on in it, which piles in stress, the state of, uh, you know, Islamic State, or what's going on in Ebola, or all sorts of things, but we're right in our faces on our news. I think we get drop- job stress and pressures totally know that. Family stress, I think dysfunctional family, breakup of family, breakup of relationships, that creates stress. Identity issues, which we think are so wonderful, everybody can choose what sort of sexuality they want to be, probably creating a massive stress and all the rest of it. There's all sorts of things. And not least, we have a culture which tells us that you can have your dream and you're in control and make your choices. And we're not. You're not in control. You know, apart from God... You know, how's the, you, you do what you can with what you get, but the idea that all of us can somehow reach a pinnacle, and, and so there's masses of frustration built in Masses of frustration. The me-centred culture. You aren't fully in control. You, uh, you know, you're trying to do something. You, you know, you're trying... You've got to find a place of peace and fulfillment and contentment. Not ever, ever, ever. And it's so... So we live in a very stressful environment. But these verses, stress creates illness. These verses would, and do, relieve us of masses of it. If you truly trust the Lord, if you truly fear the Lord, you immediately undercut a lot of stress. You really do. And then if you add to that, that sense that you're not just going to call it yourself. You're not just leaning on your own understanding. You're not just wise in your own eyes. And actually, you're going to shun evil. Yeah, you're not going to live by this world's morality. You're not going to take it all on board. You're going to say, God's God's right. I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to live God's way. You are actually bringing a less stressful life to you. Here's one last verse before we move on. Isaiah 8. I like this verse. That's why I put it on there. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He's the one you are to fear. He's the one you are to dread. We can so easily get into our culture and our world And we call conspiracy what everybody around us calls conspiracy. We fear what they fear. But we should be walking differently. We are not to dread what they dread. If you're to fear anything, fear God. Fear offending him. You fear what people think of you, be afraid of what God thinks of you. You fear of offending people, be afraid of offending God. I mean, that's the challenge of the verse, and it's a good challenge. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Last one, and I have to be very quick. Honour the Lord. It's verses 9 and 10. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. I love words. You can tell that. Honour is a nice one to know and understand too. The word honour originally, again in the original language, had the sense of heaviness or weight. Isn't that interesting? Give due heaviness to someone. Give due weight to them. And it's thought that the real origin of that is that people who were prestigious in a society or leaders tended to have a lot more gold and silver and possessions. They were heavy. They had a lot of wealth. So honor was making someone heavy. Now actually it means that you recognize they own a lot. But actually God owns everything. He's the heaviest of all. Make him really heavy in your life. You are the heaviest, Lord. <laughs> I mean, he, he owns it. It all belongs to him. It's all his. Your life is in his hands. He needs to be honoured. It's a respectful thing, but you need to recognise he is the heaviest of all. And he is. And one of the ways you can do that is to say, what I have is not my own. And I give God the first fruits of what I have. So the practical reality of honoring God is that it affects our pockets, it affects our wallets. That we actually say God is first in everything in my life including my possessions. That's the weight of this particular sort of proverb. Giving to God is a practical way of expressing the fact that you know he has all things in his hands and it all comes from him. And he's the heaviest of all. So you give him a little bit of your weight back. That's how it works. You know, it's very easy in our materialistic world to not think like that. To be leaning on our own understanding again and trying to calculate our own way through on finances. Or even to sort of tip God. You know, you can do that. What's tipping? Well, tipping is giving a little bit that's left over when you think someone's done a good job. And I think we can think about our giving to God a bit like that. You know, well, you know, it's not working very well for me at this moment. I'm not the, I've stopped my giving or, you know, I've, got, I've not got much left over at the moment. No, 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 no. The way to live if you is to honour God. It's all about honour, really. But when you honour God, you give him the first fruits. He gets off the top, not the bottom. We need to understand that is a principle for blessing in life. Now here's another one that people say, oh no, it's not a promise. Well, it's a very deep principle in the scripture. I've briefly looked this week and I cannot find a passage in the Old Testament or the New Testament that mentions giving and does not mention receiving. Just listen to that. I cannot find a passage, Old or New Testament, that specifically mentions this sort of thing, which this passage does, giving to God and does not mention that God will bless you and you will receive back. Now, I think that's a pretty profound principle to live by. You need to say, if I honor God, if I put him first in my material things, he has promised to meet all my needs. I think you need to have faith in that, and I think you need to live by it. And Marion and I have proved it for many years, since our beginning of our marriage, nearly 40 years. And actually, it is true. If you say, when you do your finances, the first thing on my budget for the year is giving to God. So here's my budget book. It's not my mortgage. It's not my council tax. It's not my food bill. The top one is giving to God. And the top one's how much we're we going to do. Can we increase it? You know, now, we get into a slight habit on it. It happens. But, but when I get a pay rise, first thing, right, let's impact this on the giving. It must be a sense of first fruits. It must be that you are serious about honoring God. And you can trust him to provide for you. Every scripture, I could give you a list, I've got them written down and I'm nowhere near time. I could give you a list of six or eight or nine, just almost like that, where it says, do that and God will meet your needs. Do that and he will be with you. It just is how the Bible works. Now, there is a danger of making that a law or a rule. Now, the dangers are just this. That means that we then get credit if we've got some money, we were good givers or God blessed us. So we get proud of owning things. That's a danger and it's a stupid danger because the principle is that everything comes from God anyway. Here's another danger, that we treat God as a good investment, like a bank. I'm going to invest my money in God and I'm going to expect some good return. No, no, no. This is about honouring God. It's about honouring him and saying, God, you're first in everything. It all comes from you. It also has a danger of creating a legalism and a bondage and even a condemnation. And Proverbs is very aware that it's not, material things aren't top of the list. Even this same chapter, verse 13, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. She's more profitable than silver, yields better returns than gold. So there are things more than money. But having said all that, God is no man's debtor. And if you honour him and put him first. He has promised to look after you. I mean, it just is there. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 11. You know, God said, if you do this, I will meet your needs, and you'll be able to be generous on every occasion. So our faith needs to get hold of some of these passages. We need to do real work, sweaty sometimes. How am I doing this? How am I doing this? How am I going to do it? What am I going to do? I can't give you answers. It's you between you and God. But when you honour the Lord with your wealth, this will be true, what we've just read. It says, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. Maybe a bit of prophetic prophetic element, I haven't got any vats. but, But actually the principles are pretty clear. God will meet your needs and you'll have enough to be generous and keep giving. So these are wonderful principles of God's word. No matter how experienced we are in life, whether you're a mature Christian or a baby Christian or whether you're not even a Christian at all, you need to hear these principles this morning. You know, it's very easy to do what I've been prone to do, to do everything according to how you see it, to actually lean on your own understanding, to actually be wise in your own eyes. We're all capable of doing that and of making a mess of it as a result. We desperately need to get these truths and to live by them. To say, in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge Him. To say, Lord, I am going to fear you and shun evil. Lord, I'm going to give you the first fruits. I'm going to say, You gave me everything I've got, and I'm acknowledging that with the first fruits all the time.